Welcome in to another Baseball America podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer. We're continuing our Top 10 Prospects podcast series with the Colorado Rockies today. And to do that, we're joined by Kyle Newman of the Denver Post. Kyle took over writing the Rockies Prospect Handbook chapter for us this year. Kyle, I have to ask, as a first-time Prospect Handbook author, how was it? Uh, it was quite there. You know, when I got the uh, the template, I was like, okay, we should uh, probably get to work on this. So, But also, it was pretty fun, Kyle, I'll tell you that. Just really, you know, having been connected with the Rockies minor league organization before, but now this really forced me to re-dive back in, especially on the back half of the lost major league season for the Rockies. So uh, it was a, it was fun. It was time-consuming. And if you're listening to this pod, I definitely encourage you to order yourself a copy, not just for the Rockies, but just comprehensive reports on every single team across baseball. And I was pretty, pretty impressed reading some, some of my compadres reports on uh, other division teams and National League teams especially, and just the depth of those reports. So it was awesome. Appreciate the, uh, the pumping up of the prospect handbook. Your check is in the mail. Um, <laughs> so Kyle, the Rockies as an organization, really the last 13, 14 months or so have been pretty tumultuous. You go back to the trade of Nolan Arenado to the Cardinals for what was frankly a, a mystifyingly light return. Shortly after that, general manager Jeff Bradich resigned in April, uh, less than a month into the regular season. Bill Schmidt, the longtime scouting director, took over as intern GM, was eventually given the full-time job. It was a lost season for the Rockies on the field. They went 74-87, and 87, finished in fourth place. And then there was some hope that after the changeover in management that maybe some of the organizational decision-making would improve. And instead, what we saw this offseason is the Rockies failed to offer John Gray a qualifying offer. He then signed with the Rangers, and the Rockies didn't get a draft pick out of it. So they didn't trade him at the trade deadline. They didn't extend him. They didn't give him a qualifying offer when they would have gotten a draft pick when he signed elsewhere. It didn't make a whole lot of sense why they didn't at least extend him that qualifying offer. Trevor Story is obviously still a free agent. He's likely to sign elsewhere. Where is this organization right now? Because before we dive into the prospects, at the end of the day, for this team to be a winning ball club, it, it really has to come from everywhere, the front office as well as the talent on the field. Yeah, I mean, really, this is a ball club in transition right now. I think you look at Bill Schmidt taking over, and obviously there was some disagreements and acrimony, I, I think, in my opinion, and just from what I've heard from my sources between Schmidt and Breidich, and, and especially at the end, how things were run at the end, some of the, the deals that went down, the Nolan Arenado trade, you know, you look at the, the Case Williams trade and a certain prospect I'll get to later when we talk about sleepers, but Bill Schmidt didn't want to trade him, Jeff Breidich did. Well, I think it just all comes back to Bill Schmidt has a, a different idea, I think, about how to get these Rockies back into contention, and it's using a lot of the same old tenants that we've seen from this club, you know, for about the past 20 years, ever since they doled out record money to Mike Hampton and, and others, and that didn't work out. And they said, okay, we got to draft and build this club uh, from the ground up. I think that's, you know, what Bill Schmidt is re, you know, re-embracing, I guess, in, in his short tenure here as GM. And we'll see how he does upcoming in the draft this summer. But uh, this is a team that's not going to contend, in my mind, you know, this year in the NL West or next year in the NL West. One of the best divisions in baseball, if not, if not the best. Uh, and, of course, I'm biased there. But... You know, Rockies fans know that. Rockies fans, I think, right now are 
well, as of all, as all baseball fans are just a little apathetic coming out out of this lockout, but they're also, you know, have real realistic expectations of what can happen at Coors Field this year, and I think that's no best than maybe third in the division. I don't expect them to even flirt for a wild card. So, really, these next few years are about developing the talent that we're going to talk about here shortly, Kyle, and that, a lot of that talent at the low A levels last year, coming up here, maybe we'll see some in double A, you know, maybe we'll see some in triple A, but it's going to be a couple of years if Rockies fans stay patient, we can see that farm system rise theoretically here in these next couple of years, and then also, you know, them start to graduate some of this talent that we'll be talking about. Yeah, one reason for optimism, I think, if you're a Rockies fan, you mentioned the emphasis on homegrown talent. The Rockies made the postseason back-to-back years in 2017-2018, and when they did, they did so with the most homegrown rosters of any team that made the postseason. There's a really long track record of successful drafting and development within this organization. Some of the issues have come with the decisions that have been made at the major league level. But you do see, even on this current roster, we do see some young talent that's at least moving in the right direction. Ryan McMahon really blossomed last year. Brendan Rodgers finally stayed healthy and on the field, had a very, very solid first full season. And you see some of the pitchers. Antonio Sensatella signed an extension. Herman Marquez, not technically homegrown, but acquired when he was so young for all intents and purposes. He was developed by the Rockies. Kyle Freeland was okay last year, kind of a bounce back year, another homegrown arm. And, you know, we talk about the Arenado trade. In fairness, Austin Gomber did pitch okay last year. He was uh, one of the key pieces there. So there are some pieces here, and all those players I mentioned are under 30. There is some youth here. But clearly there's a shortage of talent around them and a lot of holes that need to be filled. Yeah, and I think the biggest cause for concern, Kyle, is the dearth of starting pitching talent and projectable starting pitching talent. Now, granted, that's that's knowing that the Rockies at their core have one of the best rotations that they've ever had in club history with Freeland and Erman Marcus and Sinzatella. Um John Gray obviously departing from that, and so they'll have to fill some roles, holes on the back end, but they just don't have a lot of depth, you know? I mean, Peter Lambert, we'll see what he can do coming back off Tommy John. Ryan Rolison yet to debut, and he's their top starting pitching pro- prospect. So there's some guys coming down the line, but it's just it's just not a lot of numbers there at a, at a position where you really need a, a lot of numbers. You know, you're going to have a lot of attrition with starting pitchers, starting pitchers who you draft them as that, maybe they'll return relievers throughout the minor leagues. So that's my biggest concern looking down the line here is, is how can they develop that starting pitching talent. And obviously it's going to start with the draft where in the past couple seasons they have not been um, starting pitching focused at least in the top couple picks as they've gone position-wise the last few drafts, which I which have been strong, but that's a whole different tangent. So, you know, reason, reason for optimism here, but also it's going to – it's going to take a couple of years and some faith that these, you know, highly talented prospects really mature along throughout the higher minors. Yeah, to that end, nine of the top ten prospects in the Rockies system are position players. They have the tenth overall pick in the upcoming draft. We'll see what they do there. But uh, as we dive into this system. Zach Veen was their first round pick in 2020. A lot of people felt like he was the best high school prospect in the draft. Came out his pro debut at Loe Fresno and really showed uh, probably the most complete package of tools in the league formerly known as the California League. There were other prospects who were very, very good. Nuovi Marte, Marco Luciano, Robert Hassel. But 
what stood out about Veen was just how well-rounded everything was. That doesn't mean it was good at everything, great at nothing. There were some things he was great at. There's a lot of power still to come. Uh, had a lot of stolen bases, hit for high average. And I think what was really impressive is he put up some pretty big numbers, having not really done much for a year plus before that with the pandemic shutting everything down. And he had a slow first month, but once he kind of got his feet under him, he took off and really from June 1st on was one of the best players in the minor leagues. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the slow start. 238 average, no home runs, 30 strikeouts in his first full month. And talking to Bean, talking to even his high school coach who he's still close with and keeps in touch with quite a bit, Johnny Goodrich, you know, they both admitted, yeah, I was pressing a little bit. Chris Forbes, Rockies director of player development, said, yeah, first month he was saying, I need to be a power here, I need to hit home runs, I need to do this and do that. And Forbes kind of pumped the brakes on him and said, no, Zach, you just, you just need to develop. Like, we believe in the skill set you have. And as you mentioned, you know, once he settled in, he emerged as one of the top players in that league, if not the best player in all of the Western League. And uh, finished slashing 301, 399, 501, 15 homers. You mentioned the steals. He can run on the base paths. Um, that's going to be tapered more, of course, once he gets to the big leagues. He'll be kind of picking and choosing his spots to run. But the Rockies believe he can be a 2020 guy at the big league level. So uh, this is a guy who there's high expectations for him within the Rockies organization, outside of it. Uh, internally, they expect he can put up a 30-30 season this year in the minors. So, you know, there's a lot of a lot of road in front of Zach Bean, but as you mentioned, pretty promising start considering he got drafted, had to basically sit out for a whole year, didn't get to go to the alternate side, he, he ended up in instructs, and then his first true full professional season fought through some adversity and then bounced back, and Baseball America's rock. Rockies minor league player of the year among other awards so huge expectations for him and he was part of a just an awesome core in Fresno and one final thing before I keep it back to you Kyle it's interesting talking about Chris Forbes he was saying you know we could have promoted Zach to Spokane we could have kind of pushed him a little bit but they really wanted him and Drew Romo and some of those other key pieces in Fresno to be together down the stretch and play meaningful games in September and really feel what you know the buzz which they hope to bring to Coors Field here in three, four, or five years' time. So that was that was something interesting I, I took away from my conversation with Chris Forbes about Zach Fiend, who, you know, pretty much no matter what ranking service you look at, he's a top prospect, and he said, hey, I've, I've been seeing this all my life. I'm ready for it to come true. So I think he's embracing the hype and expectations. Yeah, absolutely. That Fresno team reached the championship series in the uh, low A West playoffs. So I saw Zach Veen and Fresno when they came down to uh, face Inland Empire at the end of May. So it was the end of that first month. He had slept most of the month. He was starting to come out of it. But what really jumped out to me, just getting eyes on him myself, is even when he was slumping, you could see the talent, the swing, the athleticism. But what really jumped out more than anything is how hard he plays, how aggressive he is. Watching him on the base pass, these stolen bases didn't come from him having plus-plus speed and being a burner. He's really, really aggressive. He kind of actually gets in pitchers' heads. He has that understanding of the mental side of the game. He's good at reading pitchers and their moves. And he knows when to go and pick his spots. Um, he definitely got thrown out a little bit because he could be too aggressive at times. But... Every time I saw him, whether it was in the box, in the field, on the bases, he was dialed in, he was playing hard, he was aggressive, he was looking to make something happen. 
And sometimes, especially kids in their first full season, it's a long year. They can kind of start going through the motions a little bit. You never saw any of that with Zach Veen, and that's what stood out to me. You have this immense amount of talent, but it seemed like the mindset and the motor are also there for him to get the most from his talent, which isn't always true with top, top young players. And like you said, too, about that speed, I mean, it's a lot of it's intuition. So that's he doesn't have the plus-plus speed on the base pass like a typical – you know, base stealer, but that's why it's going to translate to the to the major leagues is because he he just has that internal clock. Now, defensively, still room to grow. I think he, he's played mostly left field. Uh, he could play left or right, but definitely projects as a corner outfielder in the majors after playing center field all through high school. And uh, arm, I think, will continue to get better. And then this frame too. You know, he played about at 190 pounds for most of last summer especially the latter half of the summer as you know he just was acclimating to professional baseball the rigors of playing every day and traveling etc well after beefing up this offseason including working out with brendan rogers former rockies top prospect turned second baseman he's back up to 215 so that's about where he wants to be he feels comfortable that he can move you know, like he's 190 or 185, 200 at 215, but it'll give him more power from the left side. So interesting to see uh, what he does this year with that added weight and if he can kind of keep it on. You know, he talked about that kind of learning curve as well. It's just learning how to take care of your body and, and keep that weight on throughout the rigors of a long season. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of room to grow there, and he's, he's definitely a really, really good young player. Kyle, this was the clear-cut Rockies' number one prospect. He's their only top 100 prospect. He's a top 50 overall prospect. The Rockies not only didn't have anyone else in the top 100, they really didn't have anyone else on the edge of the top 100. You have to kind of go another 25 to 30 names deep before you start talking about some of these other guys in their system. However, it does seem like after Veen, there's a group of guys here who you can kind of mix and match a couple different ways. Ultimately, how many guys were kind of in the mix for this you know, next group, and, and how did you kind of settle it as you did? Well, I, I think, like you said, there's there's maybe three, four, five names who are towards the top, and you could really mix and match these guys, especially uh, when you look at their recent track records and then forecast ahead to how they'll be as a big leaguer. And I, I, I think when I was ranking these guys, you know, I, I tried to go – as player development guys do, just based off, you know, how, how's this guy going to project to the majors and can't he fulfill, you know, some of those holes in the system that we talked about with the Rockies at the big league level. Uh, Michael Tolia, you know, I put him at number two, and, and a big reason why is because the Rockies have had a black hole at first base since Todd Helton retired, save for, you know, a couple flashes here and there, you know, Justin Morneau, et cetera. But, Michael Tolia is expected to fill those shoes, and Todd Helton's in Rockies minor league camp this year. He, you know, was kind of bending Tolia's ear, and and those two were, were talking, and, and hopefully Helton influence him, influencing him a little bit. But he's a switch hitter. Uh, he's defensively, from what I heard, he's going to be a plus plus defender. We're talking Gold Glove at the major league level. So if he can continue to progress in his power, um, and especially from from the left side. I'm sorry, especially yeah, especially from the from the right side as uh, he's more potent from the left side, but from the right side working on that a little bit. So can he he fulfill that? And then looking down the line here, just some of the same same uh, themes. Drew Romo, they've kind of had a you know 
question mark at catcher at the major league level for a long time with the Rockies. Uh, Elias Diaz just re-upped on a contract. I think he's the bridge to Drew Romo. It's a two-year deal, so hopefully that gives Romo some time to develop. And, and defensively, same thing as Tolia. Just have heard nothing but gold uh, glove kind of things about him. Not sure if he's you know, as touted defensively as Tolia, but he's up there. And if he can t- continue to um, progress as a switch hitter, then you know his, his ceiling offensively is very high. And Ryan Rollison, I mentioned, I put him up there as well because Rockies need starting pitching talent. Rolson is kind of billed as uh, the next guy to join the Rockies rotation, you know, from from this crop of minor leaguers. And I got to say, the Southpaw, you know, he, he's not um, he's not like overly impressive in person. I don't think he doesn't blow you away. There probably are uh, about a dozen Ryan Rollisons out there, or twenty or so, you know, in the minors right now. But he does have an ability to perhaps be a back-end impact starter so we'll keep an eye on that in the next couple years and then you know obviously youth and projectability as I mentioned play into this as well and that's why I had Benny Montgomery up in the top five and um, Kyle you and I were talking I think back in November December and your draft uh, team over there is very high on Benny Montgomery I know a lot of people here in the Rockies organization are, and Benny Montgomery could very well be number two, number three, as high as that. So a lot of projectability there for that outfielder. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a group of names of guys who, who are interesting. Again, none are top 100, none are probably even top 125, but you can see an outcome where all of them end up playing regular roles for the Rockies, and ultimately that would be a successful outcome. I want to hone in on Drew Romo a little bit. He was with Zach Veen on this Fresno team that – Again, really stormed through the league last year. Uh, they went 74 and 41. And while wins and losses in the minor leagues don't tell you things often, I did notice, again, just being out here watching all these teams in the league, there was a lot of talent on this Fresno team. The San Jose group of Giants prospects got a lot of the hype because of Marco Luciano and Luis Matos and so many other guys that were top draft picks or international signees. But when you stack them up on the field, when Fresno was on the field with them, the talent levels were actually pretty similar, and those two teams met in the uh, Cal League Championship Series. Well, I guess Low A West Championship Series now. And I, I do feel like if you're interested in the Rockies, whether you're a front office member or a fan, the hope is in the lower levels. Their ACL team was very, very good as well. But the Fresno team, again, there, there's still a lot of talent there that doesn't get the same level of pub as some of the other teams out there. But these guys could play, and they were really good. And Drew Romo was a big part of that, along with Zach Veen. You know, Romo kind of comes from this demographic, if you will, that is frankly terrifying and has a really horrible track record of panning out, and that's the defense first high school catcher. And to be honest, when he was drafted last year, and as I made calls on him and, and talked about him with various officials, I kind of had my expectation in my head of what he would look like. This, hey, great, great defender, but the bat's going to be light and, you know, best case scenario, maybe it's Austin Hedges or Jeff Mathis and worst case scenario, it's Will Banfield in the Marlins system who, you know, doesn't project to hit enough to get out of the minors. And what I saw when I saw him play was someone completely different. Yes, he was an excellent defender, receiving, throwing, it was on 194s, 197s on the bag, but he could hit. It was confident, strong swings in the box frequent contact, good pitch selection, good pitch recognition. And we saw that. He hit 314 last year, and and Fresno is a hitter's park. But even in the context of the league, he was an above-average hitter. 
what do the Rockies have here? Just because I, I feel like this could be a guy that really pops, especially we talk about guys who could be top 100 at this time next year. This is the guy in the system that really jumps out to me. Yeah, I mean, it all leverages on the bat, right? Like like you said, such a risky demographic, those uh, elite high school catchers, elite defensive high school catchers, very risky. But the Rockies believe his bat, there's just so much more promise left in it. Uh, as I mentioned, a switch hitter, now he's he's got room to work on both sides, but he's more comfortable, better as a lefty. He had 351, 76 games from that side of the box. 218 and 49 games as a righty so a lot more swing and miss in the righty swing as well so he's got to shore that up if you want to you know to continue to be a switch hitter going forward here into the major leagues and that is the expectation that he will continue to be a switch hitter now the thing the rockies love about romo and why you know a lot of draft beatniks were very high on him as well when he was drafted in 2020 and rockies took him in the first round supplemental uh, is is just his his drive, his focus, his baseball IQ, a lot of the same kind of intangibles that some recent Rockies greats have had. I, I eat Nolan Arnato. I mean, this is a guy who eats, breathes, and sleeps baseball. And, and of course, all major league guys do that, minor leaguers too. But Chris Forbes was telling me, I mean, he takes it to a whole nother level. They love his preparation, how he works with the, the pitchers. And, you know, for instance, uh, last year – in spring training, uh, he was he was trying to you know work with basically every pitcher on staff and, and up and down the line, basically overworking himself in bullpens. You know, he he catch a bullpen, moved out to the next guy, and they kind of had to like rein him back a little bit. Uh, another example of of just his like tenacity, it's just his kind of like whoa, this this guy's pretty nuts about baseball. Is also during spring training, there was some cake going around because it was somebody's birthday, and and you know. They offered him a piece of cake. And he said, "No, I don't eat cake during the season." You know, he's he's like, you know, he's like 19 years old. He's like, "No, I don't eat cake during the season." Like this, this guy's this guy's locked in. He's on a mission. So I, you know, that's why he's really a pie for me is because I, I do see what the Rockies see in him in that uh, the bat has to improve both sides of the box, but defensively, what he brings and the intangibles he brings, he is on the path to the majors for sure. Yeah, you mentioned the pretty big split as a switch hitter, but he's hitting from the side he wanted to hit from, which is left-handed. Um, yeah, no, there, there's a lot of promise here, and I certainly was impressed watching him in person on both sides of the ball. And again, just a guy who you have in your mind kind of what it's going to look like, and then when you see him, it's very, very different. And definitely someone that I, I think could be the Rockies' next top 100 prospect of this group. All right, Kyle, we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to dive into the back of the system. Here's a quick word from our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. What I love about using Indeed is how it does a lot of that organizational work for me. I can sort through candidates. I can respond to them. I can schedule interviews all through Indeed. 
Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses, including Baseball America, that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right, we are back breaking down the Colorado Rockies farm system with Kyle Newman of the Denver Post. Kyle, we talked about some of the guys in the top half of this group. Zach Veen and Drew Romo really leading the way of that Fresno group. Uh, you know, Michael Tolio, Ryan Rollison, Benny Montgomery, all first-round picks, all have promise, all have a very realistic path to becoming everyday players for the Rockies. Montgomery obviously still has to get up into full-season ball, but you see the tools, you see the talent. After this top five group, there is a little bit of a drop-off, and this is where the Rockies and our organization talent rankings are in the bottom third, and it's really when you get to number six, number seven in the system, you do start looking at guys who are part-time guys or guys who have really, really big question marks. Uh, you know, Ryan Vallade, again, is probably more of a part-timer. Bretton Doyle, great athlete, but a lot of questions about how much he's going to hit and the swing and miss. I do want to dial in on El Harris Montero real quick, just because he was such a big part of the Rockies' return for Nolan Arenado. Big physical third baseman, um, has a big arm. Some people have questioned for a long time, even dating back to his days with the Cardinals, if he's going to have to move to first. But there's a lot of confidence in the bat. Uh, He was coming off of a rough year in 2019, obviously didn't get to play in 2020. What was the review from his first year in the Rockies' system and overall, how does the organization view his future moving forward? Especially just because, again, he was the top prospect they got back for Nolan Arenado. So naturally, how he turns out is pretty important to the organization. Yeah, I mean, you'd like to see something come from those four prospects that they got in the Nolan trade. In addition to shipping out Nolan $51 million about, you know, you don't want to see him get peanuts in return. Now, you did mention Austin Gomber. He contributed to the big league rotation last year before getting hurt. But Montero is really... The, the crown prospect jewel of this group that they got back. And in his first season in the Rockies org, I mean, he, he impressed in certain aspects, but also there's some red flags and other aspects that make you wonder how he'll fit in or if he'll fit in at the major league level. You know, the, the strikeout rate's got to come down, as with a lot of these young prospects, but he's got a powerful frame, he's got a compact swing. The Rockies believe there's more homers in the bat if, if he hones in on that approach from the right-handed side. Uh, defensively, big question marks. I mean, not really sure if he's a third baseman, especially considering the bar set by a recent third baseman at 20th and Blake, i.e. Nolan, i.e. even Ryan McMahon this year, who had a very, very good season, if you look at the advanced stats, playing the hot corner in Lodo. But back to Montero, I mean, his range is limited. 
Uh, his arm is pretty good, but there's not a lot of speed, hence the lack of range. So, and just just the internal clock over there and making the, the plus plays hasn't been there so far. So, will he fit in there? Um, will he fit in at first place? At first base, he split time between those two spots across Double A Triple A last year. So, we'll see where he fits in in the corner infield. But uh, if he keeps hitting, and you know even. The, the coaches I talk to, scouts I talk to, even when he makes an out, they're loud outs is, is what I'm hearing in terms of Rockies prospects, uh, like you said, in this range, not outside, not not in that top five. So uh, he has the hit tools. Will they continue to develop? We'll see. The Rockies are certainly hoping so that he's kind of another uh, plug-and-play corner infielder that they can use at the major league level here you know, in the next year or two. Yeah, he's definitely a guy that the DH coming to the National League permanently is going to help. You look at what he's done at third base. Like he's just a he's just a bigger guy who's just bigger and slower naturally, and it's right. resulted in a lot of errors in particular this past year in the Rocky system. His fielding percentage at third base, and again, fielding percentage isn't everything, but it was sub 900. You just can't have it. You can't have that many mistakes. You can't have that many errors. So... Um, there, there's long been a sense that first base is where it's going to end up, maybe DH, but now that the DH is in the NL, maybe that's where he makes an impact, and we'll certainly be curious to see. A guy who's kind of the opposite in some ways, lower levels, great glove, not really sure what the bat's going to look like, is Ezekiel Tovar. He was in a lot of ways kind of the biggest breakout prospect of the Rocky system. Another guy who was on that Fresno team was really, really impressive, and actually that Fresno's team's infield defense was fantastic and he was a big part of that got up to Spokane and and really struggled with the bat up there um, but the defense is unimpeachable what do the Rockies have here with Tovar yeah like you said the defense is unimpeachable they've already got a guy who defensively you know might be major league ready I know that's maybe a stretch saying or perhaps a tad hyperbole but he is a defensively is a shortstop by all accounts and the Rockies do project him to be the shortstop of the future uh, in, you know, two, three, four years' time here. Now, that being said, time is what he needs. Uh, he was originally a switch hitter. He's now a righty only. He's got good situational hitting, but, I mean, he's he's still a defensive-oriented player. He's, he's got to make up for his, his bat-to-ball skills. He's got to grow his power a little bit, especially that gap-to-gap gap power. I mean, it's not going to be a Trevor story and, and hit – 20, 30 home runs, but he, he needs a little more power in that swing. And right now it's contact first, power later. So um, we can't have a bunch of light hitting, hitting prospects coming up across the board. And we've already talked about in terms of Romo's bat. Uh, you can't have light hitting prospects across the board. So the Rockies would like to see more development in the, in the bat, but the defense is already there. And I tell you, starting around midseason last year, uh, you know, he, the hype shot up pretty quickly around the Rockies internally and those who cover the Rockies minor leagues. And by the end of the season, you know, Ezekiel Tovar was kind of a buzzword, uh, especially with the impending departure of Trevor Story. And obviously they got Jose Iglesias but as a stopgap. But, you know, Rockies fans looking down the line here want to know the next big, next big thing at the sixth hole, and I believe Tovar is it. Yeah, again, this was a guy that not a lot of people had heard about or knew a lot about, and he really, really, really just kind of shot up last year. And You mentioned Romo and Tovar. These are guys who are 
at the lower levels. It's going to take some time and, and they both have to keep developing. But the promise is there. And I think ultimately, you know, having good young athletic players who can, you know, stay up the middle, it's a good place to start. So I do feel like, again, if you are invested in the Rockies, this is where the promise is, these lower levels. And I think Tovar is a big part of that. And, you know, mentioned the promise and I've, I've kind of naysayed a little bit about the starting pitching talent but uh, the lower levels is also where there's some some promising arms as well uh, and I was talking specifically I like to talk about Jaden Hill because he's a guy who hasn't thrown a pitch in the minor leagues yet because he was drafted coming off Tommy John surgery but you're, you talk about projectable you know mid-rotational guys he could be a number two or three starter if he lives up to, to what he can be when he's healthy. So he's a guy that the Rockies are going to need. You know, Ryan Rawlison's a guy the Rockies are going to need coming through. Um, and they're going to need some surprises, too, out of these lower-level pitchers in terms of filling out, filling out and building their rotation for coming years at the big league level because they're not going to get much help in, in free agency by that way. So I'll be, I'll be interested to keep tabs on that going forward here, Kyle. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that kind of leads us into outside of this top 10. Jaden Hill checked in at number 11. How many guys would you say were kind of in the mix to be in the top 10? How many guys were, you know, surefire this is a top 10 guy? And how many guys were kind of all the fence a little bit? And ultimately, what was it that pushed Hill out and had some of these other guys in there instead? You know, I think out of the top 10, there were probably maybe 15, 16 guys uh, in the mix to be in that top 10. And in the case of Jaden Hill, what pushed him out? Well, uh, he hasn't, he's got a lot to prove here as a, as a pro prospect, right? I mean, he's been a prize pitching prospect since he was in high school in Arkansas, but he's had injuries every step of the way, coming off uh, Tommy John surgery. Rocky's kind of gambled on him in the second round uh, last year, and he's got to live up to that hype. So, He's got potential, but hasn't done anything yet. So, you know, that kind of pushed him out. Look at a guy like Aaron Schunk, who another defensive first prospect in my mind. And he was a two-way player in college at Georgia. Now settling in at third base, trying to find his approach at the plate. Uh, and then some of these other guys just outside the top ten for various reasons. Chris McMahon, ranking in the pitching prospect. Another starting pitching prospect the Rockets need to hit on, but there are concerns there. Uh, as he's, you know, he's got to just continue to work on his command and control, as a lot of these young young guys do. Colton Welker, he's debuted. Uh, he had the suspension. Now he's got to, you know, live up to his high ranking from a couple a couple years ago. He's kind of fallen down prospect board. So it's kind of now or never for for Colton Welker here coming up in 2022. And then some of these other guys, how Chris Arbera is a power arm, probably the best power on the Rockies organization, minor leagues, I'm talking, uh, but he's got to hold it in. And, and then Warming Bernabell, he's a guy I'd be remiss if I didn't mention too, corner infield prospect, can really hit. And he came on strong, you know, in the DSL and the Arizona Complex League. Now he's got to really prove it in the lower minor leagues this, this coming year and maybe even double A. Yeah, you talk about the pitching prospects. You know, one of the things with Jaden Hill, he's always been a guy that people have been really, really interested in. But you're right, he only pitched in six games his first two seasons at LSU because of elbow problems. And then he had Tommy John surgery. There's just not a lot of track record here. And so you're still projecting a lot more than you would from a typical college arm. And that's where it's going to be really interesting to see if the Rockies can get him rehabbed and help develop him and, and 
make him the best version of himself. That is kind of going to be one of the more interesting subplots, I feel like, of uh, the Rockies minor leagues moving forward. I do want to mention Chris McMahon just because he was a second-round pick in 2020 out of Miami, went out to high A this year, did show some good things, and at times has been pretty high up in this system. What were the reviews on him in his pro debut? So he battles. He's a battler out there. He attacks hitters. You know, he, he trusts his stuff, which is seems obvious, but actually uh, harder to find in tangible, especially in younger pitchers. You know, I think his ceiling is as a mid to back end starter. He's got to continue to develop his changeup, as many of these Rockies prospects do. It's a big emphasis in the organization throwing the change, especially at Coors Field, uh, to keep the, the hitters honest and, and hopefully grounded out on sliders and curveballs, etc. So um, just needs more consistency with his command. And I think, you know, you look at the fastball, low 90s, and hit, hit up to 95. He's got some late action, get weak contact. But uh, he just needs reps. He needs to continue to improve. I do anticipate we'll see him in the, in the Rockies rotation. You know, sometime here in the next couple of years, I guess he starts this year in double A. But, you know, he's an arm to watch. And then I, I probably would be remiss if I also didn't mention Julio Fernandez. He's hit as high as 105 miles an hour um, back a couple of years ago. Of course, he's had Tommy John between now and then, but he's back throwing heat. He could be a bullpen prospect to watch. And then a Sam Weatherly, another starting pitching prospect to watch, who has impressed at times, um, like in the instructionals and at times in the minors, but also got some question marks there, and he was limited by a shoulder down the stretch last year. So um, he needs to kind of have a bounce back here in 2022. Yeah, you mentioned Sam Weatherly. Uh, I saw him on one of his days where he was on, and it was pretty dang good. It was, again, a college guy in low A, so you don't want to go too crazy. But uh, when he's on, it's pretty good. It's just there are days it's really, really on and, and days it's really, really not. And I was actually going to ask you, is there a guy in this you know, back half of the, of the ranking who kind of jumps out to? Is a guy who maybe could take a jump? I think Noah Davis. I mean, he, uh, he came over in the, the trade with the Reds. So wasn't originally drafted by the Rockies, and uh, he's had some injury history in the past, including Tommy John surgery. But the Rockies have been impressed with this guy. He's got a four-pitch mix, mid-90s heater with some slight sink. He can throw a slider, curveball. He's been working on a changeup. And the curveball is something he can throw in all counts. It's probably got the potential to be a plus pitch if he keeps honing it in. So he's got, a, he's got the tools, I think, to be – uh, potentially a back-end starter here in a couple years, but, you know, he's, he's been out of game action in, in, I think, two of the last four seasons because of injuries to his arms. So he's got to stay healthy, and he's got to continue to improve up the ladder. But he's a guy I could really see making some waves here this year in 2022. Also, I think Carl Kaufman is another one. You know, ceiling as a maybe back-ends, innings, innings eater uh, in, the, in the majors, but maybe approach files as a long reliever as well. You know, the Rockies really pushed Carl in 2021 and will probably be pushed in double AA, A, triple A in 2022. But he's a guy that they also are, are having expectations for us as one of those guys that, you know, the more numbers you put on the chalkboard uh, with all the attrition you have as starting pitching prospects, the, the better chance you have a couple of them pan out. And I think, Rockies just you know throwing darts at the board here and, and hoping a couple of them stick. Uh, not going to be John Gray's, I don't think, but a couple pretty good arms here in this mix that we just talked about. 
Yeah, I have to say the Noah Davis pick, I like that one a lot. I remember writing him up out of UC Santa Barbara, and he was a guy going into that year, there was some thought that he could pitch his way into the second, third-round range, got hurt, fell out of the top ten rounds. The Reds signed him, gave him an overslot bonus, and um, he's always had something. that The stuff is there. He has struggled to stay on the mound. That's, that's a big, big thing that needs to be watched. But when he's been on the mound, he's done okay, including last year. He actually pitched pretty effectively. So um, I, I do like that as kind of a, a good pick of a, of a potential sleeper who could really pop up. I, I do have to ask, Kyle, we did see Riley Pint retire, and it came out this spring that he's attempting to come back. Um, what is the latest on him? Just because, again, he, he was the fourth overall pick in 2016. A lot has been said and written about his arm strength, but um, he just could never throw strikes, was never close to finding the strike zone, and then had a lot of injuries on top of it. What are you looking for here as he, you know, kind of makes this comeback attempt? Yeah, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a little less than optimistic about this, to be honest, Kyle. I mean, look at his stat lines. 4-20 with a 5-5-6 ERA in 68 minor leagues games, 40 starts. That was over five years. You know, he struggled with command, with with just overall just being wild, can't find his own, um, with the yips, so to speak. You know, last year we saw it continue, and basically a make-or-break year for him in the Rockies org. He was, he posted a 6-7-5 ERA. So he walks away from the game. I don't think quite anyone, quite frankly, anyone who covers the Rockies minor league system was surprised, just given all of his struggles and, and all the hype that he failed to live up to come out of Overland Park, Kansas, as a guy who could throw over 100 miles an hour as a prepster. So, you know, I, I have pretty low expectations for this comeback. Uh, I'd be surprised if he even climbs the ladder um, in the Rockies organization. I mean, as I mentioned last summer, he was in high A uh, through early June before he, before he washed out. I'd be surprised if, if he gets to, you know, double A this year and does anything there. So we'll see what the Rockies plan to do with him. Um, if they're just, you know, trying to salvage something from a busted draft pick many moons ago. But, you know, I, I think it's a feel-good story that he's, he's trying to come back and revive his hopes. And according to my uh, pal Patrick Saunders, who talks with Riley down in Arizona, Riley's been talking with Daniel Bard about conquering the, the yips and coming back from that. And, of course, we all know Daniel Bard's success story and coming back from that and, and how well he's pitched for the Rockies mostly last year. So... We'll see. We'll see, Kyle. But I'm, I'm not optimistic. I think we'll be writing about Riley Pine's retirement again here in maybe a year or two's time. Yeah, you mentioned the control issues. Uh, Riley Pint's career to date, 166 and two-thirds innings, 134 walks, 21 hit batters, 58 wild pitches. Um, it was always a little tough to watch, but we'll, we'll see what he's able to do. And uh, you know, give him props for trying to come back, and, and we'll see what happens. And look, if the Rockies get anything at all out of it, that will be uh, that that will count as a win at this point. And you know, we'll just see what happens. Kyle, you mentioned it earlier, and as we kind of wrap up here, I think the biggest question that everyone invested in the Rockies wants to know is realistically, when's the next time this team will contend for? Let's just start with a winning record. They haven't had one of those in a couple of years since 2018. How long? Is it going to take for this talent to matriculate and for this major league roster to be competitive if everything goes right? Oh, that's the golden question, right? And 
the double-edged sword, sword of it all, Kyle, is that no matter how poorly the Rockies fare, there'll still be about 3 million people streaming through the gates of Coors Field uh, here, especially this year, as they're getting a whole full schedule with full attendance, unlike the last two years with a short season and attendance-impacted season. So will they compete, though? Will there be a, a playoff-caliber team on the field at Coors Field? I mean, not for a couple years at least. I mean... I give it maybe 2025 20, before they contend, and I just say that just looking at around the division. I mean, the Dodgers and the Padres are head and shoulders better at the major league level. They're better at drafting. They're better at the free agent game slash more money to spend, more willingness to spend. And I, I just don't see the Rockies keeping up. Not to mention the Dodgers and Padres systems are ranked way higher than the Rockies, and the Padres have. I mean, how many prospects did they sell off last year, right? And all the deals they made. Like, I just, so it's going to be very hard for them to get back into it. And I didn't even mention the Giants, who, you know, surprised all of baseball last year by making the playoffs. And they've got a great farm system as well. So, um, when will the Rockies be back in contention? 2025, maybe. Um, You know, for a winning record, 2024, 2023, I don't know. Winning record a couple years, playoffs a few years, and ability to get back and legitimately contend in the division and maybe try and win their first divisional title in now going on 29 seasons, uh, I don't know. I'm looking down the road, and I don't see it. So it's going to take some magic, and Bill Schmidt's got a task on his hands, that's for sure, to get this team back to contending with the rest of the division, much less – you know, deep in the playoffs and, and trying to make a run of another improbable October. Yeah, I mean, we'll see what happens. They've got a, another top 10 pick this year, the 10th overall selection. So we'll see what kind of talent they're able to add there. And uh, moving forward, just how everything shakes out over the next couple of years as certainly an organization that's going to be building from the ground up a little bit. And we'll see how it all goes. Uh, Kyle, thank you so, so much for joining us. We really appreciate your insight as always. I appreciate you having me. Thank you, pal. All right, everyone. That'll do it for another Baseball America podcast. Go ahead and give us a review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever platform you're listening on. We'd love to hear from you. For Kyle Newman, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, everybody. All right, beautiful. Uh, All right, I will... gas in New Jersey and Wisconsin. Hey, good morning. You're heading to the airport, right? Yeah, thanks for checking. I like the car. How long have you been a rideshare driver? About three years now. I really enjoy it. Isn't it hard to make money these days with the price of gas being so high? Not for me. I use Upside, the free app that gives you cash back for every gallon of gas you buy. Wait a minute. Are you saying you actually get real money back when you get gas with the Upside app? Yep, I get real cash back every time I get gas. Does that actually add up to anything? I'll make around $200 to $300. Wow, that's serious extra cash. I'm downloading the Upside app now. Download the free Upside app now to earn real cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code CAR for an extra 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank account, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code CAR for a 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code CAR.